Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the Rose Rocket story with my friend, Justin Bailey. How's it going, Justin? Very good, Joe. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you. Yeah. Justin, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Justin Bailey. I'm a co-founder here at Rose Rocket. Um, Rose Rocket is a transportation management software designed for small to mid-sized carriers and freight brokers. And I am calling in from lovely and uh, today snowy Toronto, Ontario. Canada for those oh, not I know. It just know. started snow. I'm in Michigan and it just started snowing here in the last few days. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't mind it when it Part starts. It's, it feels it, it feels cozy, I think, in, at this time of year, but it wears it, it wears for November, post-Christmas. December, January, I'll yeah, take it. That's right. Anyway, I've known Justin for many years. We were just trying to figure out when we first started talking. By the way, his company is one of those Y Combinator companies. We'll ask him what to explain what that is for those who don't know what it is. But I think I started talking to you. And you were living out in California as part of the Y Combinator stuff. And I don't remember the last time we talked, but I do remember where I was. I was at a coffee shop that played too much country music. And I had to stop going there because they're driving me crazy. Not only did they play it, but they played it loud. (laughs) So that was the last time I talked to you. I'm thinking it was probably five, six years ago. So. And I, but I've watched your company and it's grown like a weed. And uh, you're going to talk to us about that today. But. Justin, please tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started the Mighty Rose Rocket. Sure. So I uh, grew up just north of Toronto in a little town called uh, called Keswick. It's a, a lakeside community, about an hour north of Toronto. Went from there, went on to just, I didn't, I, I tried a few stints at college. I actually dropped out twice from college, which I think is actually fairly uh fairly unique that most people drop out once, but I tried to give it another run and, and dropped out again. I liked working. I started my first business when I was in my teens and I was always a, always an entrepreneur. So, you know, most of my pre-Rose Rocket time was uh, starting businesses. I had everything from lawn care in my teens, you know, cutting people's grass to I started an e-commerce business pre-Web 2.0 selling air purifiers. It, that would have been a pretty good business actually <laughs> recently. I've thought about that business. Uh, I, I that was in 2002, 2003. Uh, I went on to sell that business, not for uh, any any meaningful amount of money, but it was uh, it was helpful. Later on, I did eventually take a job with with YRC as I started to have a, a young family, needed a bit more uh, stability from sort of this um, the lifestyle of a mid twenties, uh, late twenties, I guess at that point, serial entrepreneur. So worked at YRC, moved from there into a small brokerage. Uh, went on to start a, sort of a consulting company after that. That was. I guess sort of brokerage transportation management, a freight management company, I guess you could say. That led me into this the startup world. I started getting pretty interested in technology. So now we're kind of 2009-ish and 2010. Really got very, very intrigued on a few business ideas. Ones that actually you're seeing manifest today as, you know, there's it's from digital freight brokerages to sort of Expedia for freight, quote unquote, businesses. These are all things I was trying to do in you know the 2010 2011 2012 but the, the technology and the market largely just wasn't really really there and you know i've said this often but you know being early and being wrong is the same thing so 
I suppose I was wrong on a few businesses. And, you know, eventually that that led to, but it's, you know, this, these series of events, you you start one and maybe it doesn't work out, but you meet some people and then you, you use that momentum or some things you learned and that rolls into a new business. There wasn't this like, I'd start a business, stop, wait six months, start again. It was kind of one roll to the next, to the next, to the next. So it was almost one sort of fluid experience that I've kind of had over the last, you know, call it 15 years or maybe a little less, but, you know, give or take. And and so that sort of has inevitably led me to to where I am today. So it's been one long uh, circuit and series of, of businesses largely around transportation and, and digitization and, and, and technology. So what did you see as the opportunity when you when you got, came to the current iteration of your company? What did you say, this is still not being addressed by the market? Yeah, I'd, probably, I'd have to go back to the business we started prior to Rose Rocket. It was the same group of founders, and we started a company called Freightnex. And Freightnex was a really a, a, a digital marketplace for LTL carriers, but our, our ambition was just to actually bring to market non-common carriers. So the 150-truck LTL carrier that most shippers have never heard of, we wanted to make them actually available to the market versus you know the the, the SDs or the YRCs where, that had sales forces and were kind of in in the awareness of of the shipper market. We wanted to kind of serve up that tier down of call it regional LTL carriers and and make them available to the market. We thought there was an interesting competitive advantage to buy, you know, instead of using class tariffs, just pay by the pallet, things like that. So and we were going to arbitrage it in the middle. So really digital brokerage, really. And again, you see these models today, but this is this is two thousand and. You know, 12, 13. And the challenge we faced when when trying to launch that product was was not so much finding uh, and acquiring shippers, it was actually getting the carriers to comply with the technology or or connect with the technology would be a better way to put it. So what we realized is at that at that point in time, there was a lot of new products. That was kind of the first wave, I would say, of 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 freight tech largely. That was Uber, Uber was a going concern business at that point uh, as a, as a taxi, you know, you know, substitute, and you could see the obvious conclusion that freight was coming. Like convoy was starting around there, P forty four was starting, and 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 really, I looked at this, and and my co founders and I, I won't take full credit for this. We said there is there is not going to be an opportunity for these companies to scale unless you can get a mass the mass amount of carriers who are currently on spreadsheets onto the internet basically enable API functionality, which was the thing that was just starting to kind of become a thing. And so that led to, well, if if nobody's going to build a system of record for this carrier base, then I guess we are. So we endeavored to then go build a, a TMS to really simply put, get carriers on the internet. Yep. I have two questions and I think I know already, I know the answer to these, but I'm going to ask them one more time. So why the name Rose Rocket? And then also when you used to talk about, and you obviously talked about a lot of carriers, they, a lot of them work in the U.S. and in Canada. Rose Rocket is the solution for North America, correct? Correct. So, so if somebody's listening, going, "Why am I listening to a guy from Toronto? That doesn't work here. It works here. <laughs> it works in the U.S. Yeah, works in Canada. Seventy-five percent <laughs> of our customer base, if not more, is is in the U.S. We're, we're actually we're a U.S. company. We we operate in Toronto, and there's lots of great advantages to, to doing that. We're from here. Um, our employees are are all here. But we are—we're actually an American company, and uh, we, we we spend most of our time uh, servicing and selling to to U.S. customers. You're like any other major American market, other than you don't have a hockey team for some. That's right. <laughs> that's a, that's another that's another show. And and I guess that, to answer the question on why Rose Rocket, you know, it's I wish I could had this really elaborate beautiful story. We, we had a friend who was a really gifted marketer, and and so there's a couple components that went into it. We said. We don't want to be 
at that, again, at that time, this is, we, you, you kind of had to go back, you know, this, that 10 year period ish or so and say, you know, this was, this was an, there was new, we were kind of in the, like I said, this first wave of sort of modern technology that was starting to come out and everything kind of prior to that was very like, you know, like steel trans, like these really sort of like uber masculine trucking kind of names. We're like, we want to sound different. We want to stand out. We want to represent something that's like, what do we want to be? We want to be beautiful. We want to be fast from a product perspective. And so those two names kind of came to that. And then I think most importantly of all is that the dot com was available. So we jumped on it and then that's how the name became. And that was really, that was really it. It's well, nothing. It's just, to- it is very distinctive. You know, Justin, when we talked, and this was many years ago, I'm, I want to ask you about your experience with Y Combinator and explain what that is for people. But one of the things you said to me, and it didn't make sense to me at the time, but I remember having the conversation and you, it was while you're at Y Combinator or I living in California. So I knew this is an idea that technology people seem to really like. And maybe I don't understand because I don't know what the hell I'm up to. But you were saying there's all these functions for a transportation management system. You need to be able to get freight quotes. You need to be able to track. You need to be able to dispatch. But you said we're going to make it really easy for other technologies to connect to us. And I was thinking, oh, and so we don't have to be best at everything. And I was like, what's this supposed to mean? Like, what do you mean you're not best at everything? And just recently, um, I interviewed Don Salvucci Favier probably six months ago. I, I've done in, interviewed her since then, but she's from Green Screens. And she kind of pointed out that when she worked at all these transportation management systems, she worked on a whole bunch of different companies. She said, we would try and perfect each one of the functions, the seven or eight functions that a transportation management system provides. But she said, it was always kind of like whack-a-mole. As soon as you feel like you're best in class for one function, you're not best in class for the other functions that you weren't focused on. And she said, and what's happened is all these kind of killer apps have come out. Green screens being one of them, Project 44 being one of them, where you say, or there's dozens we could name, but they all of a sudden became, we have this great app and we want to connect to it. And the older systems, I don't think were built to easily integrate with those killer apps that who knows what the next one is, but we know where there's going to be one. <laughs> who knows what next year will bring, but we're going to know that it's going to be cool. And I'm pretty sure Rose Rocket will say, oh, yeah, we already partnered with them. <laughs> and other people are going to say, well, we can get a guy and he can imp- <laughs> we'll do the integration. He's not ready for eight weeks. And when he does come on board, he wants this much per hour and it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of time. You don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, this is a this is a common practice now, and it was a common practice then in in a lot of other a lot of other areas. And it's it is not to the fault of the incumbent large TMS providers no. that they weren't able to do this. It's simply the technology wasn't there to do it. And when their system was imagined and designed and executed in you know mid eighties or mid nineties or whatever it might be, this was just the way technology was built then. And really, this is. This is what's, you know, you kind of hear the term SaaS. This, this is what vertical SaaS is. It's picking an area of expertise and being really, really good at that and just building your sort of moat around being an expert at one thing. Now, I will say from that conversation, I think what we were in, in that time specifically, we highly underestimated the, and, and you need to, you need to be naive to start a business in general, but I would say specifically like this. We highly underestimated the lift that was going to be required to build Rose Rocket. So as much as I think our 
in one world. What do you mean by lift? Just the amount of time and people and money this thing is taking to build. I mean, to build a TMS, to run a business, quote to cash, a very complex, not only complex, and Joe, I think you know this well from like, there are not two companies alike in the way they the way they execute their operations. So if you're, right. you know, you can see two truckload carriers with a hundred trucks based out of Detroit. They're running their business in a different way. They're paying their drivers in different ways. They're they're dispatching in a different order. They're, there's just, the, the, you know, the, they're short haul. They're long haul. They're you know they're expedited. There there are all these little things that on the surface it's like okay freight is freight is freight. And I think we took that approach early days. But as we start moving more up market and the product becomes bigger. We're actually having to take on more than we thought. And I'll give you a good example is when we first started building it, we were completely not going to do anything around financials. We're like, that is a death trap. If we go into trying to do anything around driver pay or anything around invoicing, that will that will absolutely you know kill us. It'll take so much time. It's so complex. It's so customized. Let's just not do that. That be, there became a point where that just wasn't an option for us not to build into that. Now, we're not going to do your P&L inside of Rose Rocket as an example, but all the things I mentioned, we are doing now because there, beca- there comes a point where with all these apps, as you call them, start coming online, there's this sort of blurry middle between the two where one has to nicely pass to the other and the other one has to nicely pass back. Right. And so we as a system of record, we as the core operating system have to actually be the ones to build out that gray area and meet them where they are. They can't come and meet us where we are. They can't come into our product. They can't come into our workflow. It's impractical. So we actually probably, I think when I said that to you, it's, that, that was a fun time uh, to be to be you know optimistic and green about what we were about to do. But you know we are... Well, it's still happening, but what your point is, is it's not that simple. It's, it's, it's that and more. <laughs> it, it largely depends on the product. I think it largely, it, it can depend on the product you're building. And I think a TMS specifically or any operating system is going to have to do a little bit, it's having to go a little bit wider than, than modern conventional wisdom would suggest you should. And you know, it, it's to that point. You mentioned kind of the established transportation management system. So I don't even know when the first one hit, but let's just say it's 30 years ago. It would have been a server-based system. And so the biggest shippers in the world would have been the ones who bought those systems because they're the only ones that made any sense for. And those are the companies right now that might have still have on-premise servers, right? And they have been working on a system that has probably millions and millions of transactions in it. And... So when I say that, oh, yeah, maybe it's hard to integrate to that. Yeah, and, and we all know why. If if they could change in a moment to a newer technology like Rose Rocket, perhaps they would. It's just not an easy transition. And so this is the challenge. Some of the most sophisticated companies, the biggest shippers, I should say, don't necessarily always have the latest technology. And I'm an automotive guy. I experienced this in my career. A lot of the stuff in an automotive world is in big mainframes and you always get new technology people going, well, we got to get them off that. We got to get them out of that mainframe. You're like, well, they've only been there since 1945. <laughs> and it's a, it's a Herculean project. And so I think if, if, if they could start again, they'd do it differently. By the way, that's the same with building a house. Somebody building a house today has a lot of advantages over someone who has a beautiful home that was built 40 years ago. Yeah, I think to that end, like if you've got a house that's that's a hundred years old and it's still working, you're not going to tear it down. And I think there is there is there is wisdom. And just to kind of go back here, you're mentioning shippers. We we do work on the supply side, so we are we are for trucking companies and and freight brokerages. But it's not dissimilar. If you look at large trucking companies, it's exactly the same. And they're 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 I wouldn't say that they're stuck and they're doing things. And you know we've been involved in a lot of conversations 
with some of this lifting and shifting from the biggest trucking companies that that we all know uh you know we've we've had some of them as you know when you're a startup you run a bunch of especially early days pilots and you're getting out to meet everybody and you're trying to you're kind of but but it's interesting and ultimately these things generally won't turn into meaningful commercial agreements long term because you just as a small business can't Big businesses like working with big businesses and it makes sense. And small businesses tend to like working with small businesses. It just makes sense. And so, you know, we've kind of, as we've grown up, we, we have, you know, we do have some very meaningful uh, enterprise relationships. And to give you an example, one of our customers now, we're working with them. It's, it's, a, it's a five-year plan. They're getting off their mainframe now. It's, it's a five-year plan and their, their technology team is probably 100 people. And, and they may not even get that done, if I'm going to be honest, because there's just, there's so much debt, but it's, it, it's, it's risky. It's actually, it is it is actually it's so, a so, huge risk. So I have empathy for for these these companies, and and again, this is why you know we kind of we do tend to focus sort of sub one billion revenue organizations in, in general, just because the, again the the that's just not a place for us, quite frankly. Rose Rocket as a company should not be a system of record for for JB Hunt. We have no business doing that, and I don't think honestly we want to. Yep. So you you touched on a few things there. The market segments that you serve best are trucking companies and three uh, PLs and brokers. Do you also sell to shippers? No, we we enable the shippers though. You know, a big a big key component of Rose Rocket, what makes us the different, I think, than a lot of other TMS systems out there, is that we're very thoughtful about the the community that surrounds. Uh, we'll use a trucking company as an example because I think this one just it's easier to explain. Is that if you think of a trucking company, they've got you know maybe a, a select amount of staff and you know inside inside an office somewhere, but they're working with so many other parties. That are so like almost as, as as critical as the the employees inside the four walls themselves. So typically, a TMS says, "I'm going to operate, you know, within the four walls of the organization." But we look at this and say, "A trucking is increasingly becoming more collaborative." You know, our average trucking company customer uses seven different carriers to move their to move freight with them because they're they can't move it all. And especially last year when capacity was at such a was so tight. You know, there was there was this need to leverage other carriers. So can we provide a piece of easy to access technology that a non-Rose Rocket customer can go into, update orders, load documents to take, you know, to take the work off of the people in the four walls of our customers. So we think about external carriers, partners, if you will. We think about customers. So to your point about shippers, how can shippers interact with the company? So we give a lot of technology, you know, a, a shipper portal, but there's a lot going on there. There's a way for them to see invoices, you know, track their freight. Again, not do things that 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 burden the people within the four walls of the organization. So we think about we think a lot about drivers. How can drivers, whether you're an owner operator or or a, an employee driver, know how much you're going to get paid, know what your routes are through through mobile apps. So and then I think that the 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 other component is here is how can a Rose Rocket customer talk to another Rose Rocket customer? Anybody who's on Rose Rocket TMS can speak to another Rose Rocket TMS and your workflows can collaborate back and forth. And so that's really largely how we think about TMS. And that's how we think. And I think that's what, what Rose Rocket's competitive advantage is in the market is that we're not just thinking about the company, but all of the external entities that are integrating with the company on a on a maybe an hourly, if not minute by minute basis, because they are the things that float the business. But when you kind of put your hands around that, you've, you've created this, this ecosystem of sorts. And then you empower that ecosystem through all these different tools and just try to create scalability and automation with our with who our paying customer is, and that's what a successful deployment of Rose Rocket looks like, and and really that's that's what we're leaning into as an organization. Very nice, very nice. So I want to switch gears for just a second. I don't always get a chance to talk to somebody from Y Combinator. So 
Could you tell us what is Y Combinator and what it did for your company? Yeah, so Y Combinator is a, a startup accelerator. It's and it's 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 changed a little bit over the years. Well, I'll kind of go back to where where we were in 2016. In in 2016, Y Combinator was was really thought of as I use this example. And it might not be a good one, but it's, it was sort of the the Harvard of of accelerators. There were other accelerators out there, but well, it's what, that hard to get into. It's it's very it's very difficult to get. Less than one percent of 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 applicants are accepted into it. And it's, and it's a process to get in. Uh, you send. Uh, a 10 minute video, they'll call you on a Tuesday and say, you need to be in California two days for a 10 minute interview to see if you want to get in. So you drop everything you do that. And it's all part of testing your metal and testing your commitment. So we, we did that. We flew down and you know, on 48 hours notice and did our 10 minute interview. And they tell you after the interview, so you do this, you don't know who you're talking to. You don't know who you're going to be talking to. You don't know what questions. It's like joining a fraternity. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'd have never done it, but perhaps. And, and so you... You go down and they just tell you this is the ask you the questions and you know and there are ways to prepare and you can go online you can talk to people within it. you know we're when you're in the technology community you know people who have been through Y Combinator but you know a lot of people who have applied and not got in maybe they went for the interview and got rejected so we did a ton of pre work beforehand fake interviews like we spent weeks just preparing for the fact for this ten minute interview and, and it was really it was ext- and so what happens is you you get accepted we ultimately did. And they give you they give you money they they give you money for shares in your company which is really worthless at that point because it's it's an idea maybe a prototype but and some some come with at different levels of readiness but they they're looking for quite frankly don't even necessarily know what they're looking for they don't make that overtly public and and so most likely good founders and and you know not assholes and things like that so we got in they gave us I think about 150 grand or something. And that's really the money that sustains you. You know, renting a house in uh, in in Silicon Valley, it's basically there goes all that money for six months, right? So, right now, was it just you who went? Or no, you, there was three of us. Now? Yeah, the three of us. We rented a house. There was there's uh, there's three co-founders here at Rose Rocket, and the three of us went down and in our dining room in our house was a board table. So we'd get up in the morning and and. You know, you got to remember, I've got three kids at home, right? And and Alex, my other partner, oh, I think goodness. he had one or two at the time. And so we're down there and, and just, you know, doing our time basically in, in Northern California. And you spend three months in this, so I guess maybe about four months actually in this incubator where you just, you go in once a week, listen to smart people talk, talk to really smart people. They tell you what a bad job you're doing that you need to work harder. And you go back and work for a week for 12, 15, 18 hours a day and go back and they tell you what a bad job you're doing. And then when it's all said and done, you do a presentation in front of an auditorium of of a bunch of investors, and usually within you know a week or two, you've raised you know a, a, a sometimes extremely meaningful or at least a survivable amount of financing that you can then take and go and start start your business. So I think we wrapped our fundraising up in about forty eight hours after after Y Combinator, and that was really the power of Y Combinator back then. It was almost it was almost a right to raise money. And that's why you did it because it wasn't, it was about the experience. You get to meet great people and you know, the companies that have gone through Y Combinator, it's, you know, Airbnb. Oh, it's the who's drop. who. I mean, it's, it's, cra- it's crazy. The market cap is, is unbelievable. This is the good housekeeping seal of approval for tech companies. Sure, it's, it's and, yeah. And so as soon as somebody says, I'm, I'm, I know it's not this easy, but it's, it's, when you're talking to fo- potential investors, they go, oh, you're those guys. They might already know of you because they know you were through Y Combinator or you tell them and and they go, okay, so so they know you're not completely out of left field. They're saying there's been there's been some um, maybe I don't know boot camps, the appropriate term, but you really got put on the right track during that time. All right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've been vetted, and that's that's I think the large. When yes. you come, it was used. It, that has that has changed a little bit because they the cohorts are so large now. When we went, there was about a hundred companies at, at once. I think now it gets into like the three fifties, and so. The, the, the product has, I believe, and I, and I don't know that this is maybe not a popular thing to say as an alumni, but it appears to have been watered down a little bit. And the fundraising environment's changed a little bit. The stakes are higher. But Y-Commerce is also giving out 500 grand now. So the money has changed. And I think they're recognizing that they're going to invest for a little bit longer runway. Because for us, you know, you're coming out of Y-Commerce, you're basically out of money again. Because, you know, we were out of money before we went and we're out of money again going in. So you're now saying, okay, now we have to raise. And I think they're trying to give founders a little bit more runway post Y Combinator, you know, sort of demo day to, to make some decisions, not rush into, you know, into, into financing that maybe is not the right thing for your business at that time, if, if you're not ready. Um, so back then it was, it was, but back then, yes, it was, it was a seal of approval, as, as you said, to a degree. So one last question about your uh, sure. uh, funding here. Toronto's a, a, a world-class city. And for those of us who are close by, it's, it's a wonderful place to visit. And I know they have qu- quite a vibrant startup communities and financial institutions is there like a vc is there like a vc uh community in in toronto that's that's growing yeah i mean toronto is the third largest tech ecosystem in north america it's behind only san francisco and new york it's bigger than austin it's bigger than la it's bigger than seattle it's bigger than boston so yes so it's it's, so it's silicon valley then who's who's second new york new york and then and then um, then toronto Toronto. Yeah. yeah well it's not surprising. I mean, if you go there, it is a world-class city. And I, I grew up four hours from there, four and a half hours, and we used to play hockey there. So I would go there go there for the Hockey Hall of Fame. I've been there dozens and dozens of times, and uh, it's a wonderful place. So it's good to see that because um, I think – I think we're going to see more and more of people don't have to. So you moved, you moved for four months to California. I think in in the future you can say, well, we won't necessarily have to have all that. You can tech can grow their own, or cities can grow their own tech companies without all of that requirements. Yeah, they have to. I think you know a lot of a lot of cities too. They they, they have to be very mindful of of the brain drain that, that heads out to Silicon Valley, and and that's that's a that's a real thing. And I mean, you're from oh, Detroit, yeah. you you know exactly what that that looks like. And so I worked for a Silicon Valley company, and there was twelve of us. Four were living here in Michigan because that we were doing forecasting software. So there was four of us who lived here. We were selling to the big three. They're the biggest the biggest customers of that software. Of the eight guys who were in Silicon Valley, four were from Michigan. So it's it's amazing how much t- talent from all over the Midwest goes out there. There was a venture capitalist who came to Ann Arbor a few years back, and I think he actually got kicked out of the MBA program or something. I forgot how it worked, but he's speaking at the campus, and he said, it's great to speak at a university that you get kicked out of. <laughs> but, yeah. but he said his message was stay home, stay home, do not come. And by the way, in Ann Arbor, which is just 110,000 people, there's a whole bunch of tech companies. And a few of them were told, you get this funding, you move to Silicon Valley. And they said, no, staying right here. The talent is cheaper here. The real estate's cheaper here. And it's the same talent. It's just p- paying more money on rent. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's an argument to be made. And, and you know, we, we debated very heavy about moving there and moving our, our family there. And again, I think as time has gone by, it's become less of a thing. I think there's more investment, as, as you said, in sort of outside of the four walls, if you were, of, of, of Silicon Valley. At that time, it wasn't, you know, these, these markets that we speak of, even New York was more emerging than it was, than it was, you know, like it just couldn't compete with that space. And so you could say certainly 
wages were going to be 3x, rent was going to be 3x, but growth would be 5x. So, you know, why wouldn't you do that? So yeah, you could if you're looking to build a a slow building you know, you know, a large part of of raising capital is your velocity of growth. It's not, you know, and so if if you can grow fast, then you can just you can simply just raise more capital. So there was a bit of it's a bit of a club in a sense that once you leave Silicon Valley and we did, and it was a relatively unpopular choice around some of our sort of mentors in the area that they were encouraging us to stay for the exact reason I just explained. And and you know they they sort of not openly but kind of turn their back on you once you leave because they're like, hey man, look, I'm paying the tax to live here. I'm paying. I know I could go live in Michigan. I know I could go live in in Texas for a, a third, a quarter, a fifth oh, yeah. of the price. I know that, but I'm staying here and I'm paying the tax and I'm doing the lumps and I'm stuck in traffic and I'm doing all the things to push stuff forward and make it go fast because this is where the action is at. And if you can't join me on that ride, I'm completely impotent. No one's ever said this. This is my own version right. of this. Right, right. But if you can't join me on that ride, then you know, good luck somewhere else. But deal with your own your own people. And we've been fortunate again that Toronto has become a a, a global technology hub that we don't need it, but we do have money that's come from Silicon Valley and, and, you know, and, and most of our funding has come, come from New York. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, if you go to Toronto, you realize what a city of immigrants it is. So it, as far as right. getting talent, you go, that won't be a problem in Toronto. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, this it's, is a an constant industri- flow. it's an industrious bunch of people here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Constant flow of immigrants into that city and the best food on earth. That's right. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's switch gears again and talk about the problems you solve first for trucking companies. So let's just say you are a trucking company should call and they've got some problems. What are the typical problems they have and what do you do to solve them? What are the kind of the solutions that you're bringing to a trucking company? Typical problems, typical solutions. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, there's that there's there's because as we discussed and, you know, anybody who's listening to this is a trucking company. They know that there are really no two situations that are alike but I'll, but I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll talk about a, a bit of a macro market trend that occurred that that helped us I think largely and maybe, um, there's actually two really so when you think about let's go to like ELD mandate as an instance so so ELDs come down and someone says hey here's these ELDs they have to be in your truck okay cool now I've got this this so it did one thing it said okay now I'm open to buying technology from a psychological perspective I can approach it I can do it I get it these things are in my truck and they give me a, a limited amount of data in terms of how I can run my business but if I can integrate this ELD into a system that could tell me you know where on, on a, not just where the driver is at but where is the driver in context to the load what load is where and so you can start they businesses start thinking about ways that they can enhance their operations. Again, what they're thinking about, they don't necessarily know how to quantify it this way, but they're thinking about scale. So a trucking company largely thinks about, like there is no trucking company I've ever met that is thinking, I shouldn't say that, there's very few trucking companies I've met that are thinking about growth more so than they're thinking about operational excellence. And so what does operational excellence looks like? It, it looks like more loads per dispatcher, faster data entry, exception handling, less time spent on rote work. So what they're coming to say is we need to get more from our people. We need to offer better responses to our customers. We need to be able to access more profitable loads on a regular basis. And so a TMS just allows you to streamline your workflows and get to a place where you can scale the, especially the unimportant things. So that'd be kind of be one is that I think ELDs open the eyes to this is really cool. What if I could add this to it? Right. And I think that the other sort of macro trend that we saw is when Amazon first started again, and we're going to go back, you know, several years here with this, but when they became a, a real going concern 
business. When you know, I you remember early days when everyone was like, Amazon's never going to be able to turn a profit, and how are they ever going to work? Like, oh my god. <laughs> well, so I, I remember so I used Amazon when they had an eight one eight hundred number at the top that you could call right. because they said no one is going to buy something without talking on the phone. And I remember right, right, thinking right. when they took the phone number down, being a being older, I was like, oh my God, they took the phone number down. I still bought from them, but I was a little weary. <laughs> exactly. But then, and how many times have you bought since? A million so, times. Exactly. So the, this, the, the impossible standard that Amazon created in the perception of the buyer for us was probably one of the most important things that happened in, in our industry. I think, and if you kind of look at it, they started this. You go back in time to look at this emergence of technology. And I don't know if this is actually talked about or articled enough, is that they said, now you should be able to see things in real time. Yes, I guess this is a B2C application. I understand that. But they created this impossible standard for the trucking companies and the partners right. to say, you need to tell me stuff is right away. And I'm a trucking company. I've got 35 trucks. And I'm like, my business is run on Excel. So going back to my initial point of why we started Rose Rocket, it was how do you get carriers on the internet? Because when we saw these types of things coming downstream, it was you're going to need to be able to connect to companies like this to provision real-time data. Not just like, where's my freight? But all right. a bunch of different things, and so when that happened, when they pushed that down, we have you know carriers calling us and saying, "My customers," they didn't say it this way, but I'll kind of paraphrase it for the sake of hitting this point home. They said, "My customers are calling me and saying they need more visibility into what's going on inside my business because Amazon has told them that that's the way things are supposed to be," and so. Now you say, okay, well, how are you going to do that? Well, you need to get your business onto the internet again. Oversimplifying here, but that's the kind of like that's the that's what they're talking about. So it's ultimately like, why do we do things for money? And how do we how do we get money? We service our customers and we create operational excellence inside the business. And those are the things that we think about and how we, we function as, as a business. Yeah, it's funny. I helped a large company select a 3PL. So we went through, we talked to a lot of carriers, we talked to a lot of 3PLs. And each one of them just in the hallway, you know, over coffee, even joked about it. They said, you, you can't believe how many times we're in a meeting where somebody starts off by saying, you know, the vice president of logistics at a big shipper says, I ordered toothpaste and it was on my porch the next day and I got this many emails, right? Or I got these many text messages on the updates and that's for my toothpaste that I got overnight. But I spent $100,000 or got $100,000 for the freight and I don't know where it's at for days at a time. And so... I think somebody said it on my podcast years ago, and I love this. They said, basically, that consumer-grade technology and that experience bled over. So when somebody says, no, J Justin, you can't have that, that's just for – as a consumer, you're like, wait, I'm a technologist. I want it on both sides. I want it everywhere. Well, it, it, the, the shipper is a human being who also has an Amazon account. So it's not like they're like not it's not like they're like blind to what's going on. It's just a person who goes to puts their pants on the same way, goes into work, manages ten million dollars worth of freight, but then also has wife and kids or husband at home, and they're ordering crap on Amazon. So they know that that's how these things are. They order pizza. They order things with these visibility in the consumer way, and you really see that in technology categorically is this this emergence where B2C style technologies, applications, and user experience is starting to bleed into in, into B2B. And, and, and really, honestly, thank God for it. it. It really makes a ton of sense and it allows for, it's just more intuitive. And so that is also a huge sort of emergence in technology. We look at technology today, it's like, oh, I get it. That makes sense. You don't need a, you know, a binder and, and, and a month of training. And I mentioned back to our customer who uses a, a mainframe still today and a lot of their business on, on the back end specifically is run on it. You know, they say it takes about two or three months to train somebody 
on how to use the product. But that's insane to me, right? You know, again, it is what it is and that's there for a reason that I get it. But compared to any technology, not just Rose Rocket, but anything that's been built in the last 10 years, it's, it shouldn't take you more than a day to figure it out meaningfully anyway. And it, and it has to be intuitive. By the way, I used computers before they were on the internet. Before, I mean, So I went to the old green screens that um, you'd see yeah. in automotive. We used computers, but it was they were anything but intuitive, these mainframes. So you'd be like, oh, can can press control F8 and it'll take you to this screen and you add the costs. And I, I always remember when I, you'd be done, there would be no sense that I finished and no sense that it was saved. Yeah. So, so you're constantly going back to but the a, old screen. But an unsatisfying experience. Right. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story if I can just yeah, quickly about do. that because I think it actually speaks to also like it's easy to sort of pump our tires and say like how smart we are and we're doing all these things and we're technologists and of course we're better. But there is some interesting things that you, you, you don't pick up in translation you learn later. So you kind of reminded me of an example is, you know, we would go into companies and we'd watch them use, you know, this is early days, we're building a product out. And we, again, were thinking like technologists, we were thinking like, you know, younger, you know, early, late 20s, early 30s type thing. And so we're looking at, we're building a product that is, like building all software was at that time. It was using a mouse to navigate around to the TMS. And one thing we actually realized kind of later on was how fast people were with like F3 codes and all the types of things that you get like through through sort of database and, and green screen type technology. And we're like, and the time that it actually took, even though you're navigating like 10 screens, these people were so proficient at all these F3, F10 command combos that we were like, man, it's actually slower on our system to enter an order because it's fill out the box, move the mouse, fill out the box. Like, you know, you weren't able to tab through it anyway. There's there's all this like, you know, again, we can be super smart, but this is what I want to talk about going back to like how the TMS just takes so long. It's There's so many of these little things that you kind of learn along the way that you have to adapt to, to really be competitive in the market in a meaningful way in terms of running the business and offering value in the long tail. And so that's just one of, a thousand, you know, kind of things that we we overlooked or didn't figure, you know, early days. But anyway, I thought it was it was interesting it's, because. But I, it, what's what's interesting to me about it is what you just said is when we watch our customers use the, use the system, and I yeah. think that doesn't happen enough. And by the way, when I used to work at a third party logistics company, we went through a number of transportation management systems, and we saw demos for many more. And the biggest problem I had with the demos was the, uh, or with the ones, I shouldn't say the demos, the systems we didn't pick was the user interface. Because I say, I have, we were doing a lot of less than truckload. I said, I have hundreds of people outside my company, my, who are my shippers who are using this. I have to, me and my team have to train them to use this. And if the training takes, as you said, three days or it, it, or if it's you're never going to get it, someone up to speed or if it's not intuitive. By the way, if you went to a new system right now online to buy something and it said, oh, well, here's take the training, you'd be like, screw that. I'm not buying from you if I have to take training. And what we ultimately ended up with was a transportation management system that was intuitive enough, but also we could get everybody up to speed in 15 minutes. And that's in my mind, the requirement. I mean, by the way, that wasn't for the power user. That was for the guy who just had to put a shipment in every once in a while. There's obviously a lot more. <laughs> well, I think there's something interesting to that too, because you speak to a value for the buyer. So this is kind of speaking to you know earlier technology companies. I think that it it's when you have 
exquisite value like that in that this is the best experience. So in that, in that model, so when we think, so I was talking about trucking companies with operational excellence. When I think about brokers and three PLs, it's about sales and marketing excellence, right? They're the, they're the yes. sales and marketing. Well, that, arm that brings of the me to that other question. Industry. Right. So it's like you think about them and you think about how that can, you know, so you guys said there's extraordinary value here, but what that allows you to actually do is, is an organization or if you're building technology is to maybe paper over some of the stuff on the back end that isn't so great because you'll live with it because you're providing that extraordinary value to the customer. And I think that's where early technology comes in, you get really stuck. And it kind of goes back to what Don was saying in green screens. You're trying to kind of do everything perfect. But the reality is there's, there's, a, there's a tier of value there. And if you can kind of solve the biggest pain first and create the most value up front, it'll actually give you ground cover to figure out the stuff downstream later. Right. So we talked about the, what, when a trucker comes to you, some of that, and I know there is no typical, but you gave us some little bit of a use case, but talk about when like a broker or a 3PL comes to you and says, Hey, we, we need, we need to upgrade. What are their typical problems and what do you, what do you do for them? They're a very different customer base than, than, than trucking companies. And, and I, they kind of get lumped together because they're transportation service providers and these types of things, but man, these are different businesses. And so you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be a little bit fun with this one. So when a trucking company comes in, they look at it, they demo it 10 times. And I'm going to be facetious for the sake of the story here. They demo 10 times, they bring in multiple people into the company, want to make sure everything's kind of working properly. Accounting's coming in, dispatch is coming in, planning's coming in, drivers are coming in. Let's like, look at it. A broker says, I've got this opportunity. I've got this, this situation. I want to stand up a brokerage right now. How fast can I get started? And now that's like, again, that's like a new sort of type brokerage, right? A, a more established brokerage is looking for not dissimilar in a sense of operational efficiency, but they're looking for how can I provide, and I think this is key in brokerage, a unique customer experience. And so I have something that we do that's different. It's very, it must, I, I just, I can't, like, I know it's done and I know companies that do it well, but man, it would be hard just being a broker. Like we do truckload and then when they sell like, or what's you know what's your competitive advantage? Service. It's like that's not a thing, right? It's not a thing. Oh, yeah. So it's like okay, then what do you then what do you actually do? What's this sort of this this actual value prop that you deliver? And I think they come to Rose Rocket to help them, assuming it aligns, to highlight and accentuate that value into the market, which is largely around a digital experience with their customer. And we talked about this. So how can we have? the customer operating inside the software that we're operating in. So we have a full, a, a pane of glass that we're both operating in. How can we get our carriers doing the work for us, updating their systems, doing our things so we can take heat off the carrier managers or not have carrier managers altogether. So it's it's kind of like they're looking for scale, but brokers, I, I would say if I kind of categorize them both, I say brokers tend to be looking for a growth and a unique value proposition and carriers are looking for operational excellence. And that's how I kind of categorize the, 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 the two of them and the differences. Yeah, and I would say that you know when you said they they don't they don't have a a niche or a niche whatever you might say when they start working with Rose Rocket the customer the user interface and the customer experience becomes maybe their competitive advantage depending what they're doing and so you you're absolutely right so many companies have grown because they hustled on the phones and they provided good service but when we moved onto the internet you can't say we hustle and we have good service. You won't be found on the internet for that. That's right. So you have to be able to provide that customer experience. That And again, it's it's an experience that we have so many other places in our lives that you can't say, oh, no, you can't have a mobile app. That's not possible. You'd be like, 
what are you talking about? I ordered a pizza on a mobile app. How is it not possible? That's right. And so when you talk right. about all the things that are that we see, again, they want to bring those all to the, the workplace. By the way, I got to tell you, I remember when I was still selling transportation management services, being in a room and we didn't at that time didn't have a mobile app. And I remember being in the room and, so, and the guy's going, hang on. And I was friends with this guy. I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just tracking these shipments. And I was like... <laughs> I'm gone. I'll see you later. I was thinking, I was thinking, how, how can I compete with this? Yeah, yeah. Let's get, let's get that framing on his part. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, it was a carrier that he was, it was a carrier system. But I was like, that, he goes, he goes, I go to my exec meetings every morning. And when we're talking about shipments, I'm, I'm real time. I was like, we weren't there yet. <laughs> so. Yeah. And there's so much more than that. You know, like shipment tracking has always been the thing, but the, the level of, again, creating more visibility into, again, to workflows, to business, to documents, to, you know, co- again, collaboration from a technical perspective has just come so far. And, and I think that that visibility is, is largely thought about where's my freight or where's my driver and, you know, sort of physical. But I think that word is going to start, it is already starting to, but I think it's going to take on a, a whole new meaning in terms of, looking inside of my business. And, and that's that's really exciting for, for us and I think a lot of businesses out there. Right. So there's lots of, and, and it didn't used to be, there's lots of, um, and I'll, I'll say there's kind of older companies that have been in doing uh, TMS for a long time and then there's newer companies off three, three years in that category. You do, we're doing it on the newer systems, I'll say. The newer code, I don't know what you code in, but and more likely to be open to integration that happens, you know, with a code as opposed to 10 weeks integration. What 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 is the competitive advantage that you have at Rose Rocket that you feel like, hey, this is what makes us different and better than the other TMS that's are out there? Yeah, I mean, I think I alluded to before. I think it's collaboration. I think largely it's it is about the way that we're thoughtful about other people that are in the the ecosystem of your business, whether it be your shippers, your drivers, your partner carriers, whether you're an asset-based carrier or, or non-asset-based um, you know, 3PL or brokerage. So I think our thoughtfulness around there, I think although we are new, we're not as new as, we're not sort of in this new. weird, this, this <laughs> mid-tier. Yeah, we're seven years old actually next week. And so now I say that we're seven years old, but for the first three years, we were basically just building products. So we're probably new in the sense of we've only been in market for, I'd say, about, about four years. But we've raised a lot of money. We've, we've, we have a team of, I don't even know, 135 people uh, you know, Whoa, in Toronto. are they all in Toronto area? They're all, yeah, they're all in Toronto. We don't outsource a, a, a thing. Um, everything is here. And, and so I think we do have a bit of bench strength regarding just, just our ability to build product and, and kind of move more up market. And I think where we sit in the market is interesting too. I, I think we service... In terms of again the new tech folks, if you have a hundred trucks, I I, I, do, I don't know that there's a better opportunity to to put your business online and into, into an automated way than than it is with Rose Rocket. I think we just have more product that's been working you know longer and in market, but we're still new enough that it's the most modern stuff. I mean, we're SaaS based, like most SaaS based companies. When you buy it, you, 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 know, you pay a, a monthly or an annual fee, but we push out new code every two weeks. So you always have the most modern and, and, and you know, again, if we're kind of comparing to sort of old legacy products, you have the most current version all of the time. And so, so that just happens over, overnight when they're, while they're, while yeah, they're at some, home. Well, sometimes it, it happens updates. middle. 
Sometimes it's the middle of the day. Actually, you don't even know it, it happens. It's a, it's a it's a it's a microsecond microsecond job, and and you don't do it all at once. And there's all sorts. Of, we can get into the technicalities of how how this is done. We actually change our styles of doing. If this you at, interrupted at, at people, you, you you wouldn't uh, be doing it that way. So there's no business interruption. <laughs> no, no. There. Well, yeah, not normally. I mean, we have a again. We have things like. I'll go into even that, like we have, because we have enterprise clients, you know, we're SOC 2 compliant. And, and for those that, that is basically like an ISO for technology. We have security provisions as part of a service level agreement that, you know, our facility is secure, our data is secure in a way that we get audited to do this. We have to spend a ton of money and a ton of time to become SOC 2 compliant. So if things like data and security matter to you, then Rose Rocket, again, even compared to the large incumbents, we're, we're in a kind of a class of our own in terms of that level because of the customers that we have on that, re, that require that. Our uptime in terms of when the product goes down, it's enterprise grade because of our, our large enterprise customers that have sort of really helped our, our, our small and mid-market customers get to have the experience of enterprise grade security and, and technology and uptimes because we're contracted to do it, but everyone's on the same product. So they get to actually have an opportunity to do that. So it's a really nice, I think, mix for, it's, it's hard for us but for our customers, it's, it's I think, an, an amazing opportunity to, to get kind of best of both worlds. Yep. So I mentioned earlier that I talked to my friend Don Salvucci, Favier, and she mentioned that you're partners with Green Screens. So yep. I, and when you go, I was at your website earlier this morning and I looked, you have all these partners. Now, how do you interact with all those partners? And I see there's Project 44, there's Green Screens, and then probably you would know better than I, but it looked like at least a dozen more. And sure. So these are separate technology companies. And and so and I think you know from afar you go well don't they compete with you, but they don't. It's that they're partners. So explain how that works. Yeah, I mean generally speaking, when a when a customer signs up for Rose Rocket, they may be bringing their own. You know, sort of it's uh, what did you mean? like BYOMP, like bring your own product, right? So they're going to bring a product and say, look, I work with. Sam Sarah as my as my ELD, I work with green screens and I work with, you know, QuickBooks, for instance. That'd be a pretty popular yep. combo of products. And we say, okay, well, we've already written that integration. So, you know, username and password, click, click, click. And, you know, sometimes there's a bit of it's it isn't a there is this kind of concept that's like drag and drop. It's not. There's actually work that has to be done. There's code that has to be written. There's but it's, but it's uh, days, sort of, not weeks. <laughs> it's it can, it can and in this case, like oh, well, QuickBooks would be would be hours, really, you know, like maybe even, even if that it could be, you know, an hour type thing. And so that can get, you know, stood up relatively quickly. But then what'll happen is somebody will come, you know, I had we had Jordan Graft on our podcast the other day from and they've got a new product out called Highway. And what, so what highway, it's called uh, it's called highways. So Jordan Graf's the ex CEO of um, of Triumph Pay, and he started a product a company called. You should actually interview him on the show. He's, he's great. I would like that. Yeah, yeah. And so he brought highway, and and so currently we don't do an integration with them because they're brand new. But also we haven't had a customer that said I'm currently using highway. Can you integrate it? So if somebody brings a new product to us, we just do the integration. We don't charge for it. It's just part because we get to keep that integration. Oh, so once that. we've done it once, now we get to keep it. So. Well, you know, so even with Jordan, because we, we're friends, I'll say, you know, let's find a customer to use Highway. We'll, we'll kind of brute force it into product and get it written in and we'll just, we'll do it that way. So we have a long way to go. There's a lot of products we can integrate into. There's more coming than we can, we can possibly do. We have six people full time, you know, doing, doing integration work and there's still more work than, than we can handle. So again, we're, it's not like we're doing a new integration every day and these things do take time. And, but once they're ready, they're ready to go and you can just kind of buy into that. So we are, we're developing our, our ecosystem. I'd like it to go faster, but that's a conversation for, for the internal team here, but we're, we're trying to push on it. So I think one of the, this is the way I look at that is somebody described it to me the way a lot of new technologies and maybe Rose Rocket is set up this way. Correct me if I go astray is 
you look at like WordPress, WordPress is a wonderful platform. I think it's probably 30% of the websites on the internet, but they have a million plugins to WordPress. So if I want, if you wanted to have a new calendar, WordPress doesn't have their own calendar. There's, but they'll give you a choice of these 10 apps that work and they plug in and it pretty much happens, as you said, in hours, not days. And but what makes WordPress so great is the fact that they can integrate. They have the great product on their own, but the fact that they're not um, saying we will do everything on our own and we will be the very best at every one of these functions. They're saying, I don't know what tomorrow brings. So if there's somebody brings a technology that we have don't know about, plug it in. <laughs> yeah, I think so. In th- so the the spirit of that is is exactly right, and that's what we're all we're all trying to do is be a little more sophisticated open. than WordPress, maybe. <laughs> well, no, yes and no. So it's 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 really the notion of play well with others, and I think it stems from I don't know if it stems from this, but my theory on you kind of made, you said earlier like they may be competing with you. My thought on that is that I think competition is actually very overrated. This is my personal position on this. I think that as long as you're creating, you're never competing and you don't, you can just, you know, and there's enough business to go around for everybody. And so we're just trying to think about how can we create extraordinary value for our customers? And then, and then you just, and then there's not really much else to think about. And if this integration is going to make their experience better, then they're going to be a Rose Rocket customer for a very long period of time. And we just want to keep enhancing them. And if they find a better mousetrap to do planning than Rose Rocket is like, Honestly, more power, like great, because your business is better for it. And that's really what our mission is, is to make their businesses better. I would kind of go back to the WordPress thing just to kind of close that loop. The thing that makes WordPress a little bit different than, than this is where the B2C and B2B diverge a little bit is WordPress is open source. So those products that people are integrating into, there's a community of engineers who are building those products and releasing them into WordPress. And nobody really has to vet them. The community vets them. But a product like Rose Rocket, going back to that, we're SOC 2 compliant. We can't just let anybody right. write inside to Rose Rocket. So we had, so it does require a little more rigor. It's a little more time consuming. It's you just, these are, again, these are the challenges with it. When a business starts to mature a little bit, you can't be as sort of as loose as maybe you were early days when, when you have a customer base that's open to that or your customers aren't big enough to care about things like, again, you know, security and, and, and stuff like that. Just I want to ask you one more. I, I, I've already gone past my time. I thank you for stay, staying with me. You grew this big company. You and your partners have grown a big company. You, you said over 130 employees now all. So that's that's some rapid growth. What have you learned along the way about growing a company and, and be going from probably the grunt at the company to the leader of the company? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I mean, there's lots. So that's, that's a, probably a pod, that's That question yes. could, could <laughs> turn into a podcast <laughs> unto itself. But I think from, from if I'll give it from my own lens, because I think there's be lots of people here that would have their, their obviously own, own purview and, and, and thoughts on this. But what I've learned is that we, we as when you start a company with three people um, as entrepreneurs, it's a very sort of visionary, naive, exciting sort of journey in the early days. But as the business starts to build out and you start to add more people, I think it's really what I've learned about is where I fit and where I do well at different stages of the business. So when we were 30 people, that looks a lot different than when we're 130 people. And how do I fit into that? And am I an effective manager? Am I an effective leader? Or how does my leadership style need to change and adapt to the type of business? Because it is like working for, if I kind of look back at our business, I would say we've had sort of four different companies. When you grow that quickly, you still, it's easy to kind of, you know, we went from, we doubled our workforce over COVID. And so we were in office with 50. We came back from COVID. We had 100. And, and you kind of step in. And so you're still thinking and acting like a 50-person company. But things have changed. The layers have changed. And your actually ability to 
affect change or do things is different. How you're perceived is different. So that is a, that's been a great learning for me is just really trying to be mindful of where we are at the moment and, and put myself in the best position to help the company succeed. And for me, in a lot of ways, it's actually been stepping more to the side. So when we talk about leadership, I only, I have no direct reports right now. I kind of, you look at the org chart, I'm kind of floating up in the top, right? If you, if you zoom in too far, you'll, you won't even see my name on there. And so that's because that's how I affect the business better. I'm a terrible manager of people. And so that's, you have, but, you, but it's, when it's early days, you don't have a choice but to do that. So I think it's just being honest with yourself and open that as the business changes, you need to change with it and recognize your place in it and where you offer the most value to the organization. Yeah, I, I remember reading um, about Bill Gates one time and um, Bill Gates was the CEO of Microsoft. And then he yeah. changed roles and became, I think, chief technical officer. Um, sure. So he changed his role and he said, I used to work you know, eight, 10 hours a day and come home exhausted when I was the CEO because it was just not a good fit for me. I was away from the product too much. And then he says, when I went back to a CTO role, he said, I would work 12, 14 hours, 16 hours and come home energized because I was back with the product people, back doing what I wanted to do. I wasn't making org charts. I wasn't creating budgets and talking about next year. I was talking about the next generation of product. So it's to, to your point you got to recognize your strengths and your weaknesses and you know what energizes you versus what turns you off, right? Yeah, I think just to kind of to wrap, to wrap up on that point too, I think one of the challenges for me has been also recognizing that there's still value in what I'm doing. So it, I think sometimes we can hold on to, you know, this becomes so consuming that it really, really drives your, your sort of self-worth around the excitement and success of the business. So if you think about all of your self-worth being there and you're saying, I'm going to step to the side because I think that's what's best for the business, but my feeling of contribution starts to now take a hit, your self-worth will then accept, you know, take a hit as well. So finding a way to untether yourself, your self-worth at least from the business while recognizing that that maybe not you know doing as much or being as much on the front lines is actually of high value to the business and you're offering value in different ways. That was actually very difficult for me to kind of massage massage through. And then it doesn't mean though that as the business grows that you shouldn't at a certain point come back in. It's because you're going through this all for the first time. So maybe you're great at 30 and you're great at 300, but in the middle, you kind of have to be a bit different. Like who knows actually? So I think it doesn't have to be one way that as you sort of start moving off of things. And as for the example, what I've done, that doesn't mean I can't come back in and there won't be a good opportunity for me at a certain point to do that. It's just where we are right now. So I think the overall sort of theory here is be aware and be fluid with where the business is going and where do you insert yourself in that business at that moment is, is I think very critical as, as a, as a founder specifically. Yeah. Well, you've done really well. And your company's grown like a weed. It's got a great product from all, all everyone I've talked to about it. And you're still a young man, so who knows what's next. But anyway, I want to wrap this bad boy up because I've gone way over my time with you. But I want to ask you this. Ask, answer in any order you want. What's next for you? What's next for Rose Rocket? And what's next for this industry? When I say industry, I mean just the the, the freight tech and the transportation management systems. So... What's next for me? I'm I'm just going to roll into next year. We still operate on very short time horizons. We're still exceptionally growth driven. We're still trying to grow faster than than would be responsible for most. So we are going to go into next year with absolute determination to to blow the blow the doors off the company from a from a from a, a sustainable growth perspective. Uh, what's next for Rose Rocket? There is just there are so many things coming down the pipeline. Um, we're still growing. We're still hiring. If people are looking, look at our job board. We've got lots of open roles. So it's to continue to grow the organization, grow the team, uh, grow the product, 
and, and really continue to keep focusing on the things that brought us here, which is extraordinary value to the customer and just even get better at, at, at delivering that and understanding what that means. And I would say in terms of where the industry is going, you know, again, this ask me a different, diff, you know, tomorrow and I'll give you a different answer. But, you know, right now I've got this real, real feeling around, I love and I'm excited about where I think the the digitization of, of, of brokerage and asset is going. I know that's kind of vague. So what I mean by that is I look at the companies, I think you had Ed on your show from, um, from Neutral. I look at companies like Parade and I look at these kind of, these these middle layer APIs that are really creating this new world of 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 supply and demand connectivity, and I really am excited about. You know, I think I think that ninety percent of all freight will be moved through brokers probably within the next five years. There was a time and place where I think is going to go the other direction. I actually see more really? and more value out there, and I think that that is going to be. So that and I think, but what a broker looks like, I think, is going to change a oh, lot. Yeah. I think a, a broker is going to be software. And so when you think about that, it's when you kind of picture these middleware companies facilitating the transactions and the trades between the, 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 the buy and the sell. And I think that the stuff that, so going back to like when you're early, you know, early and wrong are the same thing. I think the stuff that FreightWaves is working on, I think some of these, these I think those things are going to start to work. Some of these indexes and, and, and a more true commodities market around the space is going to start working. I just think they were right. They were just early, I think, in terms of, trying to get it, you know, commodity market mentality and buying and trading. So I think that whole idea around, I, I think the, the, the freight market looks a lot more like the financial market, the commodities market more specifically in the next 10 years. I agree. And I've said this many times before. I think I look at us as very similar to at one time there were stockbrokers. There yeah. still are, not very many, but those, they kind of morphed into financial planners where financial planners say, tell me what you want to do. And they're looking at your insurances and your mortgage and they're looking at the big picture, almost like as a data scientist would look at data. And I see freight brokerage becoming much more like that, where you're saying, I'm not touching day to day because all that's been automated by the cool kids over at Rose Rocket. But what I am doing is I'm bringing insights like, hey, if we could just ship, you give me 24 hours more notice, I'm going to save you 15%. Yeah. If we stop doing this over at this location, we'll save 1% on that, right? That's where the value is going to be added in the future. And so it's funny you should say it that way, though. When you say it's all going to be kind of brokered, but it's going to be a middleware, it's going to be a tech it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because yeah I, I don't disagree I've always thought we're going to get rid of some brokers I think we'll have fewer brokers but the ones that are sticking around are going to be real tech centric yeah me too and I think again there's an opportunity for smaller brokers to create to carve out amazing niches and do really yes. like one thing really really well and I think and I think the I don't see the, the broker and when I say it's going to be digital I don't mean to say that. The brokers will be disrupted. I think it will be human beings putting the digital infrastructure into place. You know, one thing I'll say, and I know we're up against the time, but I remember years ago when I was selling freight services, walking into a company, and they were they were a, a paper broker, and they were three people uh, sitting at this at this boardroom table, and they were they were moving, if I remember, three hundred flatbeds a day of paper and between mills and forests and all the things. And they, it was just tech. It was just technology. that was basically doing 80% of the lifting. That's to me always been kind of my, my, my personification, my view of how brokerage is going to look like. It's going to be three man teams doing a billion dollars, uh, you know, in, in transaction. And I think that that's, that's a rea- that is a reality. And I can actually see the path there based on the access to the technology that I can see. It's, it's very clear to me how, how we can actually get there. 
I, I see it too. And again, I've been around a while. I saw a, I, I was a draftsman on the drafting boards. CAD systems came in. It didn't seem to have an impact. And then all of a sudden the impact, it was slow, slow, and then really fast. And now you could not find draftsmen <laughs> doing, even on the CAD systems. The job just kind of went away because the technology, the work gets done, but it's in a different way. And um, obviously you see it everywhere. But it's a great example. anyway, let's wrap this bad boy up. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, put a link to Rose Rocket's website and any other links. By the way, you mentioned you have a job board. If if you can give me a link to the job board or maybe Linda can. <laughs> We'll put that in uh, the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you guys. Yeah, we're on every social media possible. So you can find us on Twitter. On I don't know if you can actually find us on Twitter, but you can find us on... Uh, <laughs> For sure on LinkedIn. I why, found you there. Why can't I think? Oh, t- like TikTok and LinkedIn and all these things. And we also do do a, a podcast called Freight Famous. So uh, oh, check we'll put that a link out to and, that too. Yeah, we'd, we'd love that. And uh, I think as far as you know, finding open jobs, just go to roserocket.com and we have a careers page there. So that should be easy enough to find. But, uh, but Joe, do appreciate you having... Uh, having me on and uh, we'd love to return the favor and, and you know, maybe have oh, you on I'd our show that. in the near future. Yeah. So will you guys ha- attend all the conferences? Will we see you see you around? Yeah. We're still getting the strategy together for, for next year. Actually that's, we're meeting on some of that uh, today uh, and next week. And yeah, we, we should, you should see us at the regular shows and, and uh, you know, our, our hope is this year you'll, you'll, you'll probably, you'll probably really notice us this year. Excellent. Well, Justin, I really appreciate you taking the time and going way over your time allotted. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, you're doing great things. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate uh, appreciate you having me on, having the opportunity to uh, to tell you all about it. Excellent. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.